For our scripture reading today, we are going to once again turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 12. This is a passage that's commonly known as the Beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Here is the word of our Lord. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray to bless the proclamation of your word. We pray that your spirit be with the proclamation and with the hearing of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember Juan Valdez from the coffee commercials? 100% Colombian coffee, the richest coffee in the world. When I saw that commercial for the first time and saw the poster at the grocery store, I was very puzzled. I remember it was soon after I came to the United States and I was at the Safeway on Marvin Road. Back then, that's all that was there, the Safeway and the McDonald's and maybe Dairy Queen. I can't remember. But it was very puzzling. What was the virtue of 100% Colombian coffee? I grew up with Colombian coffee being the cheapest coffee you could get because it had no taste. So to me, 100% pure Colombian coffee was the same as saying 100% pure tasteless coffee. Yet the idea that it was 100% pure was very alluring, though it was just a marketing ploy. Now what, what Jesus says here, however, is no marketing ploy. The person... The happy person is the one who is pure in heart because he or she will see God. This beatitude found in verse 8 where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, is a reflection of Psalm 24, as are all the beatitudes. All the beatitudes are reflections from different psalms in the Psalter. But this one is from Psalm 24, and in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5, we read, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation." Now, if this is the case, if only the pure in heart, only if those that come before God with clean hand can see Him, who is able to see God? 
Who is able to come in God's province? I know my own heart and I know what the scriptures say about my heart. And I'm not, in that way, the one with the clean hands and a pure heart. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the scriptures say, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Just later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus himself says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So who is able to see God? Who is able to come into God's presence? Well, to answer these questions, we must think of the Beatitudes as already and not yet statements at the same time. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. Since the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus, we live in a period when he has already established his kingdom. He has already done everything to defeat Satan. He has already delivered us from sin and death. But some aspects of the work and reign of Christ are not yet fully manifested and will not be fully manifested until his coming again. And each beatitude includes both aspects. They tell us what we already are in Christ and what we are becoming through the work of the Spirit in our hearts as we are sanctified by the grace of God in Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are pure in heart and you will see God because of your union with Christ. At the same time, You are becoming in yourself pure in heart as you are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. So let's look at this particular beatitude in this context, the context of the already and the not yet. And let's start with the fact that we are already pure in heart. And let us start by looking at the words blessed, pure, and heart themselves. First, the word blessed. Both in the Old and New Testament, the word for blessed is the word for happy, for the word full of joy. And that's really our identity in Jesus Christ. We are happy in Jesus. We are those who are called blessed. The word pure has the idea of cleansed, similar to holy, is the word from which we get the English word catharsis. It carries the idea of purging, of something that wasn't clean, but now is clean. From something that wasn't pure, but now is pure. It's used throughout uh, the New Testament by Jesus, particularly in the Gospels. For example, in Matthew 23, verse 26, Jesus says, Blind Pharisees first cleanse, that's our word, the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. In the, the Upper room discourse as uh, he is, Jesus once is wanting to wash Peter's feet and Peter resists him. Jesus says this to Peter He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Again, again, our word here. And you are clean, but not all of you. In John 15, still in the upper room discourse, Jesus says, You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Again, the word clean there is the same as a related word to the word pure here in Matthew 5 verse 8. And this purity is necessary in order to see God. 
the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, which is just another way of saying purity, without which no one will see the Lord. It's interesting that he has a couplet here, it has two words, pursue peace and holiness, but yet the second half of that verse says without which, referring only to holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that's what the purity that, that uh, Jesus is mentioning here is. Something that without which we will not see the Lord. And then we find the word heart. And the heart is who the person truly is. When there is no pretense, no barriers, no walls, no makeups, who we really are. That's what the heart is. It is often called, both in the scriptures and in theology, a person's nature. The heart is the wellspring of life, the control center for life. In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The heart is what pushes and controls our will. Again, our Lord, just later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speak. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. And that's why William Hendrickson then says, The heart is the very mainspring of disposition, as well as of feelings and thoughts. So these are necessary for us to understand what Jesus means here. The word, the word blessed, the word pure, and the word heart. And what I'm proposing to you here this morning, as we talk about the already of the Beatitudes, the already of being pure in heart, is this. You are already pure in heart because of the promise of the new covenant. Because you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, or because God has worked in you, you are already in pure in heart. Remember the promise that God made to His people in Ezekiel 36? The promise that we call the new covenant in verses 25 and 26, God speaking through the prophet says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God has reached down and reached into you and taken away your heart of stone and given you a pure heart. This is the new birth. This is the regeneration that Christ speaks about in John chapter 3. Remember when Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus by night and he talks about the idea of being born from above, being born again by the work of the Spirit. This is what the new covenant promised to us. And if you are in Christ, that's what's happened to you. This is the, the, the work of regeneration brought about by the Spirit of God in which He grabs people who are dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins, and makes them alive through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where it says, You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what God has done in you and for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and because of nothing that had to do with you, but all because of His grace and His love, He brought you to life by giving you a heart that is able to believe in Him. So when we read Psalm 24, we see Jesus as the righteous one. That's, that's the one that ascends before the Lord. That's the one that comes with purity before the Lord. Historically, this psalm has been associated with Christ's ascension into heaven, described in Acts 1. Remember what we read in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Jesus ascended into God's holy hill. He stood before the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. He is the one that never bowed to an idol. And because of our union with him, the Father sees us as he sees his Son, pure and holy. Not only that, but he has cleansed us and freed us from the power of sin. Not only has declared, not only has he given us a new heart, that's the work of regeneration. Not only has He declared, has declared us justified, perfect in His sight because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the imputation of Christ's work to us, but He also has freed us from the power of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, not, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you notice what Paul does here? He says, this is who you were. Such were some of you. This, this, this is not talking about somebody outside the church, but these are the people who are in the church. They were adulterous, they were fornicators, they were, they were idolaters, they were homosexuals, they were sodomites, they were covetous, they were... Revilers, they were extortioners. And yet, God transformed them. That's no longer their identity. They're not identified by their sins anymore. They're identified by their union with Christ, and they're called blessed. And notice that Paul lists all these things that were done to them, to us. 
in a passive way. They were, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. All these things being done to us. We are the object of the work of God in us. And our identity is no longer a sinner, but a saint, as the blessed ones of the Lord. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the apostle says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're no longer identified as who you were in Adam. Old creations pass away. You're identified as you are in Christ, the new creation. And that's very important because we have to think of ourselves in our new identity. Not identified by our sins anymore but by our union with Christ. And that's why Paul says in Romans 6, verses 11 and 14, like you, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For sin shall, no, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Notice that he says, reckon yourself, think of yourself, count yourself as dead to sin. Is the reality already. Sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. And as a result of this change of heart, we get to see God. Now with the eyes of faith, but there will, be, there will come a day that we will see Him as He is. And that's why the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, he shall be li- we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, he says, The pure in heart will see God, now with the eyes of faith, and finally in the dazzling brilliance of the beatific vision in whose light no deceit can exist. The vision of God, that blessed vision, we will see Him. But it's not any less real now. We see God because we are pure in heart with the eyes of faith. So that's the already aspect of this particular beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But there is a not yet aspect to it as yet, as well. We, you and I, are becoming pure in heart. One of the results of a new pure heart is that we pursue purity. The exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy applies to all of us when he said in 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee you also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, pursue purity, because you have a pure heart. Again, Carson says, inward sham, deceit, and moral filth cannot coexist with sincere devotion to Christ. As a matter of fact, you cannot pursue purity in life without a new heart. There's no such thing as a pursuit of purity without a first having a pure heart. And that, that has been the case from the very beginning of creation. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, 
Jesus says, hypocrites, talking to those who put the traditions of man above the word of God, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So you can't really pursue Christ if your heart has not already been regenerated, changed, purified by the Spirit of God. God told that to His people way back in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, God says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. That's the desire of God. That's the reality of humanity. That without a pure heart, without a heart that has been changed by God, no one can pursue purity. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, there Moses says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. We pursue purity because God has first pursued us and given us a pure heart. God initiates, then we follow. Now, a fair question to ask is this. How do I keep my heart pure and how do I pursue purity? And really, there's no fancy strategy here. There's no uh, unusual gifting. There is no new revelation that God has given me or, or you on how to do this. We pursue purity by just embracing and using the ordinary means of grace, the common things that God gave us for us to grow in Him. And that doesn't, that's not so appealing to us because we want something extra ordinary. We don't want the everyday stuff, but yet it is the everyday stuff that allows us to pursue purity. So how do we pursue purity? How do we keep our hearts pure? Well, by reading, hearing, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God. Just plain old bread and butter of being in the Word of God. Jesus when, was pray- when he was praying for us to the Father, he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's how God sanctifies us. That's how we pursue purity, is through the word of truth of God. In Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, the psalmist, says, how- the psalmist asks, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word, your word, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we come to New Testament, the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, says in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So do you want to know our hearts? Do you want to know how pure it is? Do you know how to pursue purity? We open the Word and the Word shows us who we are. The Word reveals in our hearts what idols need to be killed, what, what, where we're doing good, where we're not doing so well. And it continues and says, And there is no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And he uses his word to open those things out, to lay our hearts open to ourselves and to him. So how do we pursue purity? By being in the word, by reading the Bible, by hearing it proclaimed, by memorizing it, by thinking about it, by meditating upon the things we read. 
We also pursue purity by obeying what the Bible says, obeying God's word. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, the apostle says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Why? Having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. How we're purified by having obeyed the truth. That's how in practice we are purified. We obey what the Bible says. So we hear it proclaimed. We read it for ourselves. We meditate upon it. We memorize it. We obey what it says. And we also are purified by the means of prayer. We grow in Christ we grow in purity, we grow in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, by praying. Um, the great prayer of David in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast within me. Or the prayer of Psalm 19, verses 12 and 13, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Oh, the prayer of Psalm 139. Lord, search me to see where my sin is. So, we, how, how do we pursue purity? We read the Bible. We hear it proclaimed. We memorize it. We think about it. We obey it. We pray to God and we also pursue purity by being involved in each other's lives. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 says the following, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are who spirit, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Consider yourselves, lest you also be tempted. How do we pursue purity? How are we brought from sin to walking with the Lord? through the work of his people, through being in each other's lives. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, having these promises, what promises? Well, in chapter 6, he talks about the promises uh, that God made to be a father to us and to our children. So having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you notice the, let us, cleanse ourselves. This is a community project. We need each other. And then we purify ourselves. We grow in the Lord by attending to the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's one of the reasons why we practice the Lord's Supper every week. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says that God gives grace for us to resist any temptation and then in verse 14 of chapter 10, he says, Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry. And then he goes from there into a discussion of the Lord's Supper, where he says, I speak as to wise men. Judge for, ourselves, for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We grow together. We are able to resist sin as we, by His grace, partake of the sacraments. Our larger catechism question 162 asks, what is a sacrament? The answer is this. Sacrament is an, 
as an, is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those that are within the covenant of grace the benefits of his meditation, mediation, to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion one with another, and to distinguish them from those that are without. So how do we go in purity? We read the Bible. We hear the word proclaimed. We memorize it. We think about it. We obey it. We pray to the Lord. We participate in each other's lives. We come together in the sacraments. Those are means, ordinary means, common means that God has given to us for us to grow in purity. Purity of heart is not only a matter of cleanliness, but also a matter of commitment of the heart and will to the Lord. He has given you a pure heart. Now we live in purity by His grace. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that the pure one, the Lord Jesus Christ, has gone before us. And we pray that as we follow Him with pure hearts, the hearts that you've given to us, through the new birth, that we would also become pure in practice, that we would avail ourselves of the very means that you've given to us to be pure, that we might follow Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.